Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we take on the question, how much can a Christian sin? Or to frame it another way, how badly and for how long can a Christian sin and not necessarily be proving him or herself to be an unbeliever? If you listen to the conversations in the evangelical world, you get the idea that if, a, if someone in the church sins really badly, then he or she is definitely not a Christian. Or if he or she continues in that pattern of sin for a long time, he or she is definitely not a Christian. We wrestle with those questions. And then over in the members podcast area, we talk about preaching and the tone and tenor of it in particular in light of these realities. And we also consider church discipline. We hope that this conversation is helpful to you. Stay tuned. Hey guys, as a quick reminder, if you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at Amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Unfortunately, I woke up to a lot of uh, notifications on my phone this morning. Uh, this podcast, we, we record multiple weeks in advance, so this, this is going to be old news by, by now, but it's fresh to me. Uh, this morning, uh, Nashville got hit by a pretty bad tornado, and as of, what is it, 8 mm-hmm. o'clock this morning, already eight people have been reported dead and, and a lot of damage. So, yeah, just um, it's going to be, I've already been texting with my deacons and just trying to figure out if there's anybody in our church that needs help and just checking yeah. on some people that I know that live up there. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's always hard anytime that you, you deal with disasters, you know, you see them in the news and then when it's in your own hometown, it's, it can always, it's always a little bit harder. So, um, yeah, so we're just, it's, you, you, I'm always reminded, you know, you get busy with life and then you just, you stop thinking about the frailty of life and then you realize, you know, just how, I mean, I know Justin, you, you dealt with this last week, just how frail and, and and sure how quick life can be over so yeah now things like natural disasters in this case a, a tornado they're very sobering realities and they do yeah. remind us of a few things one is how small and powerless we are even in yeah. this modern era and advanced technology and everything that we have we still have zero control over the weather and then when real inclement weather strikes even all of our technology and and engineering and everything else is really powerless against yeah. against the forces of nature, which is a humbling, sobering reality in and of itself. And then, yeah, the the other thing is the frailty, like you just said, John, the frailty of life and the fact that we really are like grass. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We are mindful of that and natural disasters, and also, as you alluded to, even just sickness and disease and how quickly our lives can be snatched from us. Um, it's 
not bad for us as believers to contemplate our mortality um, because it forces us to to consider eternal realities. So, yeah, I'm mindful whenever natural disasters strike. I'm I'm mindful of of Jesus in Luke 13 when he begins to talk about a couple of scenarios. One, he asks his audience, a Jewish audience, about he said, you know those. Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate, you know, they were, their, their bodies were mixed with the sacrifices being offered to, to pagan gods. Do you think they were any worse than you? And he says, Uh they were not, you know, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Or what about those 18 people on whom the tower in Siloam fell and it killed them? Were they any worse than you? It says, truly, I say to you, they weren't. You know, unless you right. repent, you will likewise perish. And so I, I think a quick word from Theocast on on natural disaster. A lot of times people in the American church, when a natural disaster strikes or hits, immediately we're like, oh, well, this is obviously God's judgment on this group of people or on this country or on this city. Like, well, Jesus says otherwise. And I'm even thinking about John <laughs> 9 when you have a a man who was born blind and the disciples immediately asked Jesus, well, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it this man that he was born blind? And Jesus says, well, actually neither one. Letter C, yeah. none of the above. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that the works yeah. of God might be displayed through him. So the world has fallen. The creation is cursed. It's groaning, Romans 8, to be liberated from the curse right. that God has put it under. And the creation awaits the revealing of the sons of God. And so that's why natural disasters are happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Life is, life is uh, not as neat and, and in order as we want it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching no. through John 17 and in John 17, Jesus makes a very interesting request, which I think goes against everything the prosperity gospel tries to present to us. And the request that Jesus makes is he asks mm-hmm. the father to protect them from the evil one. And what's, if you go throughout the entirety of Jesus's teaching and prayer, you don't ever have Jesus guaranteeing or asking the Father for the physical protection from harm or from danger or from yeah. cancer or from even from death, because death is part of life. Like you will die. There's That's right. there there <laughs> there are very few people in the world. You know, we know of two of them in the in the old, in the Bible that have not died. They ascended to heaven. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, but so what, what what encourages me is this. And and I told my congregation this. I said you can be as wealthy as Kobe Bryant. Um, or you could be as poor as a person that lives on the street, and there, neither right. of them have a greater amount of security because life is that fragile. It's it's that yeah. frail. But what is not fragile and what is not frail is your security to the Father. Amen. And Jesus yeah. makes sure that we have full confidence that we don't know when we die and how we're going to die and if we die in pain. But we will never be abandoned. I mean, what can separate us from the love of God? And Paul gives us a list just to make sure. If anybody said, well, what about this or what about that? Paul covers every possible scenario, categorically speaking, Mm -hmm. and saying there's Mm -hmm. nothing. And Jesus confirms that when he says, Father, the only thing that can trip these, these poor people up is Satan, who is deceitful and powerful. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to protect them from that so it won't happen. Yeah. And a little bit of what we're going to talk about today actually is sure the frailty of humanity and and sin and 
in our safety yeah. and security as it relates to so since so so jp why don't you kind of uh i know this is a tough transition and it's probably a heavy podcast we, we apologize for that i it just was yeah. on my heart in my mind it's what i've been thinking one, about for the last three hours so yeah sure i mean one other thought on this john and before i, I tee up our topic for today and this is related I, i'm thinking about hebrews chapter 11 where we're told that we're told about a number of different people and then we're even told about groups of people in general who all had faith in the Lord and in his promises through Christ. Some of them were delivered from trial and tribulation and from execution mm-hmm. and danger and persecution. But then we also read that some of them were sawn in two, you know, and some of them perished. And so we are not guaranteed simply through faith in Christ to your point that you were just making from John 17. We are never promised security and ease of life now. We're not promised that we'll be delivered from every kind of trial, every kind of persecution, every kind of malady, but we are promised eternal security, that God will work all things for our eternal good, and that's an eternal promise, and that we'll never be lost, and that we will be eternally safe. And as you've already alluded to, life this side of heaven is complicated, it's hard, it is wrought with trial. And this side of the resurrection, our corruption in the flesh remains. And because of all of those things, all of those realities, people in the church, and by that we mean the redeemed saints, those who are trusting in Christ, sometimes and even oftentimes find themselves caught and mired in sin. And so one of the questions that we get here at Theocast a decent amount. And John, I know that you deal with this in your own local church context. So do I. Yeah. Yeah. Is something like this. How how long, for how long and how badly can a Christian sin and not be lost and not demonstrate him or herself to be unregenerate? Or let me frame it again. So can Christians sin really badly for a long time? and still be in Christ Jesus. This is something that we wrestle with in our experience because we've all seen people in in our own local churches, perhaps, who have sinned maybe heinously. They remain in a posture of sinning for an extended season of time, or maybe even we ourselves have gone through seasons like that in our lives or are in one presently. And we think, man, if you only knew what was going on in my life, in my mind, in my heart, or if you knew how long this has been a problem, you would question my salvation because I know myself and I'm certainly questioning whether or not I'm a Christian. So that's the question is, is can somebody sin so badly that it means they are necessarily not a Christian? Or can somebody remain in sin for so long that it means that they are necessarily not a Christian? That's what we're going to talk about. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a good conversation. I, it, it falls into the whole theme of Theocast, which is resting in Christ and helping people find assurance and joy. Peace and assurance, um, yeah. So a lot of times when someone is asking me this question, it's not because someone wants to stay in sin. It's not because they're justifying their sin. We are talking of, not about And that's important to make that to distinction. To be clear. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people who are actually struggling with their sin. Like they, they don't want to sin and, and they are sinning or they have done something in the past and they don't know, you know, can, can God forgive me for this? And this is a 
to jump into the deep water right away. I, I apologize if this is maybe a little too much. I mean, but, why not, John? Uh, yeah, but I, I've I've had to deal with ladies who, before they were a believer, before they came to Christ, they, um, you know, they they had an abortion, and it just horrified them when they realized, you know, what they had done and 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 why they did it, and they just thought, man, I don't know, can can God forgive me for taking a life is how they saw it. And it, it was, a, it, you know, one, not a, not a simple conversation, not an easy conversation. Um, and so this is where, you know, when we think Christianity is so ABC, one, two, three, it's clean cut railroad tracks. There's, there's no, there's no, there's no debris or problem. And then a tornado comes and ripping through your life. And now your life is not what you thought it was going to be. Uh, so yeah. there's a couple of places. One I'm going to go to. I know that you, JP, are going to do this as well. But I'm going to read to us real quick the Confession, uh, London Baptist Confession, which is also taken from the six or the uh, Westminster Confession. And right. <clears throat> it says in uh, chapter 15.4, says repentance must continue throughout our lives because the body of death and its activities. So it is every everyone's duty to repent each specific known sin specifically, meaning that, hey, listen, Scripture makes it very clear. We know this from First John. We know this from First Timothy 1, 13 and 15, that we are going to struggle with sin. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later with Paul and Romans. But then the next, sure. the next point I think is so helpful here. It says this, so 15, 5. God has made full provision through Christ in the, in the covenant of grace to preserve believers in their salvation. So to preserve them. Thus, although there is no sin so small that is undeserving of damnation, which is true, any sin against God is as if you make yourself equal with God. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. It wasn't because they ate an apple. It was they attempted to make themselves equal with God. Every sin is that attempt. Right. Yet there is yeah, no sin so treason. great. Yeah. That's right, cosmic treason. Yet there is no sin so great that it won't bring, that it will bring, sorry, let me say this again. Yet there is no sin so great that it will bring damnation on those who repent. This makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. Of course, this is Romans 6, 23 uh, and other passages that we could quote. So I think that the point of it here, and the confession makes it very clear, that if someone acknowledges what they have done is is a violation against God and they are willing to confess that sin. I agree with the confession because I think it aligns with scripture that there is no sin so great that it cannot be forgiven. Amen. So, well, yeah. that's, I'll, I'll just kind of throw that out there, JP and, and see how, how do you respond to that? Received. First of all, received. You threw it. <laughs> I've caught it. I received it. A couple of thoughts. One, whenever people are, battling sin or struggling with sin. I think the imp- implication, just even in the words that we use, the verbs we use, is that there is an actual fight going on and there is an actual struggle being undertaken. And the question that I ask people, I know you've asked this question to people too, John, and we've even talked about this on Theocast before. The question that I ask, and I, of- I ask this often from the pulpit, is not, are you sinning? Because the answer to that question for every redeemed person from all time is yes. The question is, does your sin bother you? And the answer to that question for all the redeemed of all time is yes. So that's, right. that's the reality that we live in. It's not that we're not sinning. It's the difference between 
a believer and a non-believer, a, a saint and a person who is not trusting Christ, is that you know, for the saint, their sin, his or her sin, bothers him or her. And so that's a great diagnostic question. It doesn't mean that it bothers you as much as it should, because none of our sin ever bothers us as much as it should. But are you okay with it? Are you just kind of like, hey, I'm going to go on and do this, and I don't care what God says, like you've acknowledged already, even in your reading of chapter 15 from the 1689. Repentance is a big piece of this conversation, because repentance means a, a change of mind. A change of mind about what? Well, God and about salvation and God's ways with us, but it also means a change of mind about sin. Whereas in our natural state, we love sin and embrace it in the Lord. I mean, having the Spirit of God in us, that change of mind right. has happened where we acknowledge that our sin is wrong. And that's, that's really where we are. So if our sin is bothering us and we're acknowledging that it's wrong, there is, and we are turning to Christ in faith, looking to his merits, not ours, looking to his righteousness, not ours, looking to his atoning work to pay for atone for, bear the wrath of God for, satisfy for our sin. There is no sin you know, that is not covered, that is not dealt with in full. A, a thought here, I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit more from the 1689. This is from chapter 13 on sanctification. I'm going to touch on a little bit from paragraph two and three. This speaks to the reality of sin happening in a Christian's life where it comes from, and the fact that it could endure for a season. So this is chapter 13, paragraph 2, on sanctification. Reads this way. This sanctification extends throughout the whole person, though it is never completed in this life. Some corruption remains in every part. From this arises a continual and irreconcilable war with the desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And obviously they're referencing Romans 7 and Galatians 5. 17 there, which we're going to talk about more in a minute. They go on in paragraph three to say this, in this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. I'm just going to read that sentence again. In this war, the spirit against the flesh, the internal war that every Christian fights, the remaining corruption, that is our flesh, may greatly prevail for a time. Greatly prevail for a time. Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes eventually, right? So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear or reverence of God. They pursue a heavenly life in gospel obedience to all the commands that Christ as head and king has given them in his word. That will be the end result. But for a season of time, which could be a long time, corruption, the flesh may prevail. I mean, it, it's very right. clear. That, yeah. that is the experience of believers from all time. Yeah. Well, and I'll even read one more to comment, and then I'll comment on it. Uh, chapter five, uh, point five, which is under divine providence, it says the perfectly wise, righteous, gracious God often allows His children for a time to experience a variety of temptations and the sinfulness yeah. of their own hearts. He does yeah. this to chastise them for their former sins or to make them aware of the hidden strength of the corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, mm -hmm. so that they may be humbled. Uh, and you know Romans eight twenty eight talks about this in the providence of it. So the 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 point of it, it is that yes, uh, God is very aware of our frailty, and at times He uses it for our own benefit of seeing that we must not depend upon our flesh, but depend upon 
something outside of us, which we talk about all the time. Our, our faith has to be in a work that's outside of us because the moment you trust in your own sinful flesh, Colossians 3 warns us, Colossians end of the Colossians 2 says, it's of no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh, these rules and regulations that we make. So a, a couple of thoughts to add to this is that <clears throat> We often think of the big, the big sins, you know, and I'm not going to make a list, but there's a lot, you know, the sexual sins or, you know, crimes that can be committed. And let me tell you this, uh, those are big. And, you know, when someone commits those, they, they receive the same amount of blood washed over them as the small sins. They're both violations against God. And the problem is, is that people People just assume themselves to be better than they are. And and here's the confusion, and this is something we should talk to, Justin, is that, well, if we have the Holy Spirit, how is it that someone who has the Spirit can perform such horrible acts of sin? And then not only that, but repetitive acts. And I'm going to just put this out there for someone who's listening and and maybe even struggling and and even, you know, (laughs) judging us at the moment. What... What's interesting to me is that someone who who's very quick and, and there's several camps out there that are very quick to judge people who have basically don't overcome sin quickly. Sure. Let me let me let me point out your acceptable sins, the sins that that you are don't, it oh, doesn't John. bother you that you sin repetitively over and over and over again. <laughs> right. These are the acceptable sins, the sins of judgmentalism, the sins of laziness, the, sure. of the sins of uh, lack of faith would be one, or the sin sure. of gossip. Yeah, there's, I mean, mm-hmm. can I keep going? Would, these are the sins I that we, throw, yeah, come on, jump on in. We're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. We've we've commented on this before. I've said something about this before. I think in the members area, and I'm going to go ahead and say it now yeah. for all to hear. One of the respectable sins that everybody commits, that everybody is pretty happy to admit they struggle with, is pride. And yeah. if you ask somebody, hey, tell me what you're struggling with, to a man, almost every person is going to say, well, pride. And it's very interesting to me that in the circles that you're pointing out where we're very quick to tell somebody like the guy that says I've been I've been struggling uh, in a battle against sexual sin like in the form of pornography for mm-hmm. 15 years. Right. Well, the response of most people in that scenario is going to be you've been battling against pornography for 15 years and you don't have victory over that yet. Are you sure that you're even a Christian? Because if you had the Holy Spirit in you, you would see victory over pornography by this point 15 years in. Okay. Yeah. 
I would want to turn the table man, man on or that, woman. I that, mean, here's the thing. The, the reality is sure. that's not gender anymore. Yeah. I'm no, no, no. I, I agree. I was just illustrating, yeah. you know, no, I, I agree. Yeah. It could easily be a female, not a male. I would turn the tables right then in that moment. The person that is saying, how do you know you're a Christian if you're still struggling with porn after 15 years? I would say, well, okay, how long have you been a believer? Let's just say I've been a believer for 20 years. Um, and you told me just a minute ago that you still struggle with pride. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, well, um, you've been a Christian for 20 years and you don't have victory over pride yet. Are you sure that you're even a believer? And if you're in That's ministry, right. it gets even worse. Like if you're a pastor and you're like, yeah, I'm, I've been in the ministry for 30 years and I'm still struggling with pride. My response there is, okay, you've been battling pride for 30 years and you're not victorious over it yet. Um, maybe you should question your salvation. Two, you're in the ministry. Maybe you should resign because God says that humility is a prerequisite. Um, I mean, like for real, if we want to really nail this stuff to the wall, that's how we would talk. And yeah, and of I course would, we don't talk that way another... about respectable sins. You know, Jerry Bridges no. talks about respectable sins. We, we don't talk yeah, that way of about respectable sins, but the heinous ones, of course, we do. Um, the yeah. sexual sins and, and stuff that's very demonstrable in public in nature. Like, well, you, you, should, you should be looking differently than you are if you're going to still continue to claim Jesus. All the while battling mm-hmm. pride, gossip, malicious talk, all those things. Go, John. Right. Or even anxiety. You know, someone who, you've been a Christian sure. for how many years and you're still anxious? You still suffer anxiety? And you still you worry fear? about everything? Yeah. Or anger? Jesus said, don't worry. You, that's right. <laughs> you know, be happy, uh, or or anger or bitterness. You know what's interesting. So uh, the the point of it is is that and and I look. I'm going to be the first to admit that there is there is um, there are greater consequences for someone who is sexually immoral than for someone who struggles from fear. No, no we doubt. are not. We are not saying that. But the point of it is, one is acceptable to to struggle with, and one is not. And that is not what scripture tells us is, and I'm just going to listen, go to Galatians chapter two and Paul for all of for all of eternity, because we know that scripture will be bound up for all of eternity, Paul for all of eternity recorded. Uh, and then this is a comment I made to Justin. So let me back up. This is a comment I made to Justin before we got started. We'll make, we'll make references to, to believers who have said done horrible things in the old Testament. Abraham. Sure. <laughs> I mean, David. homie was a hoodlum. I I don't mind standing sure. shoulder to shoulder with Abraham because, you know, I don't feel judged by him and I'm not going to judge him. Same thing with David. Now, he, the thing is, the, the guy murdered someone, took someone's wife and then lied about it for a long time until he got called out on it. And here's the comment I get, typically from the Calvinjelical world. Yeah, but John, they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have the Holy Spirit. So they... Basically, that's not, you know, shocking that they live that way. Well, first of all, have you ever read Galatians chapter two? Peter, who opposedly the, the, the church, the rock, you know, the, the one that Jesus decided to build the church on, is confronted by Paul in, in Galatians two for like denying the gospel, the treating Gentiles in a way that he shouldn't have treated them. And he had to get called out for it. Uh, and then Paul himself right. admits the things that he doesn't want to do, he keeps doing them. Well, then right. that would mean that he's not a very faithful pastor. And who knows what that list was that Paul had. And 
I, you know, Paul sure. never tells us what the list is, but obviously it was more than one thing that bothered his conscience. Well, and the, the spirit of Romans 7 makes it seem like it was substantial in its nature when it leads him at the end of it all to cry out, you know, wretched man that I am. He, yeah. He's acknowledging, as you've already said, I don't do the things that I want to do and the bad things that I don't want to do, I still find myself doing. Talks about his corruption that remains. In Galatians 5.17, he uses the language quite explicitly about the, the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit being at war with the flesh. And this results in you not doing what you want to do. That's right. We, That's right. we keep coming back over and over again to these passages, Romans 7, Galatians 5, and the like, because they're so important for us to understand every Christian's reality. The internal war is real. It produces a struggle that lasts the entirety of our days until we die or Christ returns. And because of the remaining power and corruption of the flesh, we will find ourselves ensnared in sin. And we will find ourselves doing things that grieve our spirit. And, and that's it's normal. It's not okay. So I want to be very clear. We are not justifying sin. We're not condoning sin. We're not giving sin a pass. We are simply acknowledging the reality that even though sin is never okay, sadly, it is normal for those of us who are still in the flesh and trusting Christ. We are at the same time yeah. saint and sinner. And so we will find ourselves doing these things. I'm, one, other, one other passage really quickly, John, if I may. Yeah, man. <clears throat> in yep. 1 Timothy 1, 15, it's a verse that many people you know, cite regularly, myself included. And I was looking at it recently, and I was referencing it in a sermon that I preached at CBC not long ago. And I was struck by something. So this is 1 Timothy 1, 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I was just struck by the fact that Paul says of whom I am the foremost. He doesn't say of whom I was the foremost as though that was something that used to be true. Of Present me, tense. And now it's not anymore, but it's of whom I am the foremost. And then he goes on to say, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So in other words, me, Paul, being the foremost of sinners, Jesus has been merciful and patient with me. And the reason that he has saved me as the foremost of sinners is so that the other saints will look at Christ's mercy and patience shown to me, and they will be comforted. That's a wonderful word. And so, right, consider the Apostle Paul, who, who says that he is the foremost of sinners and that Christ has been merciful and patient with him. And his word to the church is, if he's been patient and merciful with me, he will be patient and merciful with you because that's who Christ is and that's how he deals with us. Praise be to his name. And Amen. it's a Amen. great it's a great message of comfort, man. I've got one other piece from the 1689 that I'll go to in a minute. Um but I'm happy yeah. to kick it kick it over to you. Yeah, I just wanted to say something and and this may change the direction so, you know, we we can do with it however, but we'll at the fig- end we'll of uh, it so, yeah. yeah, 15 5 I had quoted this earlier, and it says, yet there is no sin so great that it will bring damnation to those who repent. This makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. And I will say, this is what we started in our church every week. 
we we have a call to worship, I welcome, and then we read scripture, and then right after the reading of scripture, we corporately, all of us, read a prayer of confession where we pointedly at times read specifically how we can acknowledge ways that we have sinned against our God, and we are Mm -hmm. openly, corporately, all of us, praying a confession. Lord, we confess that we are guilty of these things. And it's at those moments that we then receive grace. And we sing then to the Father Mm -hmm. songs, and we then give offering as a response out of the grace received. So I completely agree with the confession that if a believer gets to a point where they don't, they're not reminded, you need to repent. And that doesn't mean, um, you know, I'm not standing up there berating them. The the congregation shows up and goes, yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) I know I have failed. I know I am vile. I know I stand with Paul. I'm the greatest sinner I know in the room right now. And so I want to receive repent. I want to receive forgiveness. Amen, brother. It's we're basically, like you said, agreeing with Paul. We're all saying in that moment, wretched men, wretched women that we are, who will deliver us from these bodies of death? Thanks be to God you know, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's what we do. I know it's what you do and it's what we do at CBC every Sunday when we get together. I mean, we start, we start from the welcome, man. I mean, whoever's leading the service welcomes people and we're very clear. I mean, we, we acknowledge right out of the gate our wretchedness and our vileness and our desperate need for Christ. And like, that's why we're here and we trust that's why you're here. Welcome to church, you know? And so- right. You you set that tone from the very beginning, and it's what permeates the entire service. So it, repentance, it's funny because there are many people in the evangelical world who are maybe of the fundamentalist stream, or and that I guess that's there's fundamentalism, but then there's a fundamentalist stream of evangelicalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there are yeah. those who are in the Calvinical world as well who will talk about repentance in a very threatening way all the time, you know, even towards the believer. And, and this is where, this is what we're sort of driving at. Repentance for the Christian is not something where, you know, the, the preacher is standing up at the front, like y'all better repent, you know, kind of thing. And it's more of, oh, brothers, sisters, here is who we are and what we have done this week. We're in Christ Jesus, but here's what we have done this week as sinners. You know, we're still in the flesh and my goodness, how we have struggled and broken God's commands. We've not kept any of them really, and we're struggling mightily against our corruption. We are in desperate need of the mercy of God, and we need to acknowledge and own our sin as wrong and then cast yeah. ourselves anew upon the mercy of God in Christ. That's what we mean by repentance. And, mm. and we do it corporately every Lord's day, and then we're doing yeah. that individually in our, in our lives daily, we trust. Yeah. John 15, Jesus says, the way that we can have not just joy, but his joy and have it incomplete mm. is by mm. is by doing two commands. He says, one, love the Father, and then he says, love mm. one another. And we know from the <laughs> New Testament epistles that the majority of the instructions that are given, uh, you have, of course, horizontal you, uh, or vertical, the, the commands for Before between you Lord, and God. Yeah. But I would say 85 to 90 percent of the commands that are given to the New Testament believer are horizontal. It's between you and the believer. And so when someone if you're in sin, most I I always ask people this question. Can you think of a sin that you commit that does not affect one other person in the world? 
Like it's the only affects you. I promise you, you can't come up with one uh, because every sin that you commit will affect either you or humanity in general. And, you know, if you can think of one, sure, email it to me. Um, I think people have tried in the past. The, the reason I say this is that you have to understand that sin is not only something that you indulge in to try and fulfill a lie that cannot be fulfilled, but it also robs you of your joy. So when I'm calling someone to repentance, it's not out of fear. I'm saying, hey, listen, what you could have, the relief, the joy, the satisfaction in Jesus Christ, you, you aren't having because you're trying to satisfy that with something that Satan has lied to you about. And so there's sure. a, this is why Paul says in Romans that the kindness of God is supposed to lead us to repentance. And it's right. not the father's, you know, the prodigal son didn't run out with a switch. He ran out with his arms out. He, he humiliated himself by lifting up his garment. He threw a party in repentance. And here's what's crazy is that in First John and in, in, the, in the confession and, and throughout Scripture, we aren't told that there's a cap limit on your repentance. Right. Like, this is how many you get, okay? You get right. this many this, get this many slip-ups, and then once you get to that point, you're done. You don't get any more. And that you're no longer no, a believer. Well, agreement. I mean, and we could go to a number of, of places. I, very quick interjection. I'm mindful of Jesus and his words in Luke 17, I believe, when, um, when he says that if your brother sins against you even seven times in a day and he turns to you every time and says, I repent, you know, you and for, forgive me, then you forgive him. That's, that's another conversation maybe about repentance because immediately in our context, we say, well, you've sinned against me seven times today. There's no way you're sincere in that repentance. Once you demonstrate appropriate <laughs> sincerity, then I'll forgive you. Well, that's not what Jesus yeah, said. My kids like to, so you're right my kids ab- like to use that passage. <laughs> you're, you're right about that. In, in that, you know, there isn't a cap limit. Jesus is using seven times as a, a perfect you know, number where it's like, this yeah. could happen a lot of times and you're going to forgive your brother every time. And then, you know, passages like Galatians 6, 1, if any of your brothers are caught in sin, those of you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. I, I think that happens in an unlimited number of times in the life of the church. There is no cap limit. Oh, well, once a person has been ensnared in sin this many times, it's over for him or her. The Bible never speaks that way. And here's why that's true. If we think about the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, every one of us break that commandment every day. None of us have ever done it. So if there is a cap limit on how many times we can repent of not keeping God's commands, then we're all done. We're all going to hell. Because every day we're breathing, we break God's commands and never really keep any of them. And so those things are just really important for us. Lest we think that we're crushing it at the Christian life, just consider love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, yeah. and strength. Very quickly, John, if I can read one more thing from the 1689, because you were asking earlier, sure. what is it? Well, you weren't asking. You were sort of throwing it out there, you know, because people ask this. What is it that causes us to fall into sin? Well, we could answer it several ways, but the confession is helpful. This is uh, chapter 17, paragraph three on the perseverance of the saints reads this way. They, the saints may fall into grievous sins and continue in them for a time due to the temptation of Satan and the world, the strength of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of means of their preservation. So there we have some causes Mm. for it. So grievous sins and continue in them for a time. Again, there we go. Really bad sins, really long time, potentially due to the temptation of Satan and the world. That's understandable. 
due to the strength of corruption remaining in them, that's our flesh, and also the neglect of means of our preservation. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. Their graces and comforts become impaired. Their hearts are hardened and their consciences wounded. They hurt and scandalize others and bring temporary judgments on themselves. Nevertheless, they will renew their repentance, there that is, and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. Paints a very realistic picture of what our lives often look like in the church, where we do sin for various reasons, temptation, our flesh, neglect, and those things bring with them serious consequences at points. I mean, even temporally, like it, it really can wreck our lives, yet we will be kept through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. That's the promise of, of God's word. The, the confession gets that exactly right, that we will be kept you know, through faith unto salvation. And I wanted to pick up on something else, John, that you said earlier with the, the consequences of sin. I'm mindful of the uses of the law, uses of God's law in this whole conversation, because in the church, we talk in terms of the first, second, and third use regularly. The first use being to show us our sin and drive us to Christ. The second use is sometimes summarized as civil, but I think it can be understood more broadly in terms of it's restraining our corruption, right? There are promises that are like you keep God's commands. There are promises. You break them. There are punishments threatened. And then thirdly, it's the perfect guide for our lives in Christ. And we talk this way in the church regularly. And, and when we talk about sin and what it does to us, we often use that, that second and third use where if I were to look at you, John, and say, brother, don't do that thing because it will wreck your life. Well, what is that? That's, that's really the second use of the law. It's restraining your corruption. You know, Like if you do this, God has said it will go poorly for you. If you do right. that, God has said it will go well for you. That's a, that's a motivation for obedience. And then in, in Christ Jesus, third use of the law, it's like, brother, let's pray together that God would keep us from sin and give us grace that we might live unto him and conform our lives to his word. It, it's right. just how we live. Yeah. That's Go right. for it. No, I think, no, I think it's good. Uh, so we've got a few minutes left. I think we can start the conversation, but we're going to have to probably end it um, in the members podcast. I'm sure if you've got to this point, you want to know about unrepentant sin now. And, um, sure. I, there's, there's two, there's two comments I want to make here. It's very obvious the confession. And I think scripture even believes this because you can't write Roman or you can't write uh, Galatians six, one, uh, mm-hmm. unless this is a true reality that there are Christians who can have a period of time where they are unrepentant. Um, because, <laughs> or they would not That's need what to, be it means to be right uh, or to be confronted uh, or, or that they have been trapped that's the language of being trapped sure. because you trap well, means you're not you're not willing to turn right. from it right caught trap yeah yeah so i think that there that that's a conversation that we need to have and then the second part of the conversation is and this is where um this goes into pietism. This also goes into, we did a podcast recently or where we mentioned worried about the carnal Christian. Uh, and someone said to me, well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, which I'm like, uh, I think every Christian is carnal. <laughs> there's no such thing well, as yeah, every not Christian a carnal is... Christian. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the, yeah, I, I mean, I think my, my I, dispute... I think you know what I mean by that. I do. I mean, we could clarify that more in the members podcast, maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but my, my point on that is um, 
Yes, we. I think we're going to spend some time on how do you deal with somebody who is not going to repent of a sin that is obviously mm-hmm. publicly well yeah. known. I think there's a lot. There's a lot of us who look. I'm going to be. I'm going to be frank. We all have sins we don't repent of because we're just not aware of them. Yeah, we, well, sure. we have violated in God's. In, we have violated God in ways that we will never know until we get to glory. Sure, and those are an unrepentant you're, you're sin, t- right? You're talk they are. You're talking though about unrepentant sin that's clear, it's demonstrable, obvious, it's been confronted. And somebody says, nah, like I, I, I don't care that I'm sinning, I'm gonna keep doing it. Or you guys might call it sin, the Bible might call it sin, but I'm not gonna call it sin. I'm just gonna keep doing this. Right. That's what you're talking about. And my yeah. my answer to that in brief is church discipline is in the Bible and it's there for a reason. And we practice it yeah. at CBC. I know you do at Grace Reformed. And yeah. now we try to wield that well with precision. We don't like to swing that thing around like a blunt instrument, you know, and, and just bludgeon people with it. But it is there and it's a tool at our it's disposal. It's also not something to, to be prideful people. of. Man, of course some of the it churches isn't. that it's I've not heard, a badge it's of like honor. They're, it, yeah, it's like we're right. going to root out the evil. I'm like, well, then no. you're, you're going to have anybody but, left in your church. Well, that's right. And and we we always are very clear to say that the goal of church discipline is always restoration. That's obvious in the way that Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians right. 5 even. It's, the, it's clear in the way that Jesus talks in Matthew 18, that the goal is always to see your brother or sister restored. And we'll talk more about that in the members podcast. Maybe one final th- thought from me, John, in this this whole thing to put a bow on this first part of our conversation when we talk about Christians sinning really badly for a really long time, and none of that necessarily meaning that they are lost or that they're not believers, we are not giving a plug for, oh, well, just sin and don't worry about it. We're not, we're not saying any of that. We're not really making the big deal about sin. The, the thing that we're trying to champion here is really the mercy and the grace of God in how he deals with stubborn, stiff-necked people like us. This has been true throughout the entire history of God's people. That's true of Israel, and it's true in the church. We can talk about the differences between the Old and New Covenant. We can talk about how the Holy Spirit was on people, and now it's in people. He's in people, I should say. But it's still, the, the issue is it remains the same, that we are at the same time saint and sinner. And the, the message is God has always been in the business of saving ungodly people And he has always been in the business of showing mercy to people who continue to struggle against their corruption because they are trusting in Messiah, the one who would provide them with righteousness and atone for their sin. And and that's 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 the message. It's not that sin is okay. It's not, oh well, you know, just you know, glory in the struggle. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying trust God because he is gracious and merciful and faithful, and because Jesus is sufficient. He is enough to save even you. If you are looking to him for your righteousness and for your atonement and for your satisfaction, then you are safe. And God's spirit is in you. He will keep doing his good work in you. You will be conformed to the image of Jesus ultimately, and you will be with God forever. Mm. That's the point. Amen. Yeah, and we'll take this over to the the members podcast, but I'll I'll say this. we say these things because there are some of you who probably will be given this podcast by a friend and you've wandered away from Christ mm-hmm. and you've found yourself yeah. 
entrapped in sin, and you just don't think there's a way back. There's no way that God mm. would accept your repentance. And the point of what we're saying is, yes, he will. There yeah, is will. no sin so long or so great that Christ's blood cannot cover. You can repent. You can turn from it and receive Amen. mercy. God's arms are not crossed. God's brow is not furrowed. If you are his child, often, it says in the, it says in the confession, often he will allow you to get to the point in your sin that you are so weak and so frail, you understand just how powerful your flesh is now. And that you must depend on him. And in the confession that Justin read is that that people stay in sin because they have not used the due use of means, which is the church sure. and the fellowship of the church right. and the preaching of his word and word prayer and, and the table. That's right. So that that's one thing I, I wanted to mention. And, and we'll unfold that a little bit more in the um, in the members podcast. So that's where we're headed now the members podcast. If you don't even know what the members podcast is, you could find more information about that on our website over at theocast.org. We offer a 14 day free trial with our total access membership that gives you access to some premium podcast content, as well as some other written content and various materials. So avail yourselves of that. If you have not done so, kick the tires, give it a try. The membership is a way that we try to support the ministry of Theocast. And we are grateful for all of our members who are out there listening. We look forward to the conversation that we're about to have in the members area, and we hope that many of you will make your way over there to listen in to what we have to say. See you next week.